Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. Man, this is why we worship. This is why we come together. I have had a tough week. Have you? Lord Jesus. I have had a hard week, yo. And I needed to worship. I needed to be in a place where I'm just singing about God, where my mind and my heart is just fixed on the Lord. That's why we come together, to be able to draw near to God together. And I'm so honored to be here with you, drawing on his presence again. We have uh, been in a series on really maturity and growing up, and we talked a little bit last week about how maturity takes time. And one of the things that um, interesting in the book of Hebrews chapter 5, one of the things that he says to that community, he says to them, by this time, you should be teachers or you ought to be teachers by now. And when he was looking out to that community, what he was saying was, you have been a Christian for over two to three years for that particular community. You have been a Christian for some time. And there comes a point where people should be able to follow the pattern of your life to some degree. Imperfectly, yes. But on some degree, we can't have everyone say, you know, who am I? to lead? Who am I to teach? Who am I to have people follow? At some point, someone has to say, follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. And what the author of Hebrews was saying was, for the believer, because you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you have the potential for other people to follow the pattern of your life. And that is not just for the gifted. It is not just for the wise. It is not only for the experienced. It is not for the seminarian. It is not for the one who can sing or the one who can teach greatly. If the Holy Spirit is in your life, God calls you to live a life where people can follow you. And so one of the reasons why we're doing this series is so that we can just have some clarity on what does it mean to be mature? And who should we follow into maturity? What we're saying is that there are certain habits that should be cultivated over time to become more mature and habits that you can put on display to others. Now, a habit is, as you know, some of us have bad habits, and many of us have good habits. But in fact, a habit, um, in the book Power of Habit, they talk about this, but a habit is basically an unconscious tendency that you cultivate over time. And so many of you will say, I have good, as I said, good habits and bad habits, but there are certain habits that if you continue in them, you will grow. And not only will you grow, you will continue to grow. And people will be able to follow your pattern of life. 
as you live out those habits before the world. Last week, we essentially said that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a habit that we have to come back to, that we always have to remember the good news because there is a part of us that wants to perform. And we talked about the prodigal son and how the prodigal son essentially was coming back and he says, don't treat me like a son anymore. Treat me like a hired hand. I want to work off my debt. And what we, we learned was that when you come into a relationship with God, you're not working for a relationship anymore. You work from a relationship. And he has satisfied the wrath of God. And that's good news. And that means that God is always inviting us into intimacy, always inviting us into intimacy. And so it doesn't matter how deep, how dark, how horrible you feel about your sin. You are rejecting the gospel when you're rejecting intimacy with him. And you are saying, I'm only good when I'm performing well. I'm only lovable when I'm achieving accomplishments. And you destroy the gospel because the gospel was never built off your work. It was built off the work of Jesus. And so when you feel the deepest, darkest, most horrible space in your life, you do not look at yourself and feel condemned or unwanted because for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. This must be a habit that you go back to. I talked about this last week. I, I don't want to go f too far into this, but um, oftentimes, you know, believers, they, you, you start off really well and you're really strong for a year or two and then you do something that breaks your heart and you know it breaks God's heart and you feel you're unacceptable now. But you were never acceptable in his sight. The only acceptable work in God's eyes is the work of Jesus Christ. There is no work you can accomplish that will impress him. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And when you feel bad, think about Jesus. And when you want to run away, run back to him and think about Jesus. It's always his work. It's the gospel. It's the cross. How long does it take you to run back to him when you feel down? How long does it take you to run back? That's really a statement of maturity. And so that, the gospel really is a habit, a habit we must cultivate. The second habit that we're talking about today is really walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit. In Galatians, Paul will talk to that community, and he will break down the work of the Spirit of, in our lives. And then he will say in verses 16 and verse 25, how then should our life be with the Spirit? In other words, what should it look like when the Holy Spirit is in our life? Now, he'll talk about fruit later, meaning there are different characteristics that should be evident in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Against the, such things there is no law, he says. But it's not just the evidence. How do we get to that place where people see fruit? And he says this. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He also says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so he is giving this imagery of the Spirit of God there to accompany us in our everyday life. And he is, the Bible will use this imagery of a paraclete, someone who comes alongside of you, a guide, a helper, longing to be with us and to work with us every day, moment by moment. And so when the Bible says walk by the Spirit, it is not saying that the Spirit of God is some like a sign and you walk by it. In other words, it's saying that you are walking in dependence of the Spirit of God. You are walking in surrender to the Spirit of God. And the imagery of walk is like a pattern of life that I am always trying to push my life or structure my life where I would do whatever the Spirit is pulling and prodding me to do. And then he says, live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. So the Spirit, so the Spirit of God every day is longing to guide you. He says, just keep up with him. He has a step. Keep in his step. My daughters, um, Leah, many of you know my second daughter, Leah, she turned seven Saturday. So crazy. My other daughter turned eight. And the weirdest thing is to see a human being who was radically dependent slowly work towards independence. It's the weirdest thing in the world. Because in many ways, I want her to become more independent. I don't want to have to take her to the bathroom anymore. I don't want to have to carry her anymore. But there are certain things that I openly tell her, I am here to help you with that. That is why I'm here. I am your father and I am available. Like I'm right here. So when we come back from the grocery store, and I can carry more than one bag. And here she is trying, my, my daughter Leah, praise God, she's trying to carry like six bags. And I see her fingers like, you know, when they press and they got those, those creases and stuff. You know, and here she is. And she's trying to prove something to herself. And so she's walking, you know, that, that little walk you do when you can't carry it. And I'm walking with one bag. And I'm like, I can do that for you. And she's like, I got it. I'm like, but you don't though. You don't got it. I got it. I can do that for you and with you. And she continually rejects my offer. I'm offering my strength. I'm offering myself. But just let me help you. My name is Father. His name is Helper. Like, I, help is some, some of what I do. Sometimes I'm like, I can't help you. That was a good idea. Carry that bag, dog. So, I mean, I can't always help, but his helping is his job description. And do you walk in 
the Spirit. And so I want to I want to give as much practicality to this. So sometimes um, when you do series like this, there's always somebody that's like, I know this already. Psh, psh, walk in the Spirit. Psh, I know this. <laughs> Holy Spirit, I got this. In no way, shape, or form am I asking, do you have knowledge about the Spirit? I'm also not asking could you tell me about how to do, like I'm not asking you if this is possible to come from your mind. I'm asking, is this a habit of your life? Has this, have you been walking in the spirit to the point where this is what you fall back into? This is where you're always gonna come back to, living your life moment by moment in the spirit's presence and under his power. To understand what this looks like in the life of the believer, you must understand the nature of surrender. John 15, if you have your Bible, you can go there, but we're going to look at a couple verses, uh, so you might want to look in your Bible app or look up on the screen. John 15, verse 5. Jesus gives us an analogy, and in this analogy, his hope is to help you understand what dependence and surrender looks like. And he says, here's the deal. I am the vine. I am connected to the ground. I feel the warmth of the sun. I am the one who draws on the sustenance from all that's around. I am the vine. And he's using the imagery most likely of a grape vine. And he says, you, this is what our relationship was like, you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And when he says, whoever abides, it is that thought of, if you've ever heard in sometimes in old English, they will say, welcome to my humble abode. It is talking about a home. But in Greek, this is a continual action. Whoever cultivates a lifestyle of being under and with the presence of God. And so he says, in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. He'll go on to say, basically, that branches are not intended to bear fruit in and of themselves. Branches cannot bear fruit. Branches have been made to have fruit born through them, but they cannot produce fruit on their own. And if a branch is apart from the vine, it will not produce anything. But if it is connected in the vine, the sap will work through the branch and you will see fruit get produced from that branch. And it is this imagery of, I mean, what do branches really do? They just sit there and, and there's something working through them. 
And when you see it work through them, you, they get all the props, right? Because you see that beautiful grape on that, on, on, basically on the branch, but they don't do anything. There's something working through them and you see the evidence of it. That is what he is getting at, the heartbeat of bearing much fruit. Surrender, surrender, surrendering every day and all of your moments to God. If you, if you want to test, if you want to battle, attempt this week, when it, whether it is you're waking up or you're going on the train, or going to, the, or going to work, or going to the gym, attempt in your heart and mind to give every moment to God. You are in for a battle. It is going to be radically difficult. And the heartbeat of this text is, as you continue to fight and do that on a daily basis, he produces fruit in you. He produces power through you because you are more surrendered in your life. Oh, we're all surrendered when we can't make rent. Hush, shut up, whoop. It's like only you, God, only you, only you, right now, right now, right now. You talk about fill me up. I know you need to be filled up because you need to fill that refrigerator up, praise God. We're all surrendered in emergencies. We're all surrendered in the big things. But when you begin to whittle down, see, maturity is when you can surrender in the little things. One of the things that uh, I had a really bad habit of beginning in my marriage, my wife and I, the strength of our marriage is our friendship but that's also one of the weaknesses of it. Because I, the way I've learned to cultivate friendships is I'm, I'm real jokey and, you know, I'm, I'm used to being in the lunchroom and we crack on one another, you know, and it's, it's like, oh, you're so silly, you're so dumb, why you do that? And that works 50% of the time in a marriage, praise the Lord, you know what I'm saying? Because sometimes you'll say something and it won't go over because this is the person who you're in a covenant relationship with all the time and it's also a female, so it gets a little messy, right? And I used to, in the beginning of my marriage, I, we would be joking and she would catch feelings about it. And I'm, I'm like, well, honey, you know, come on, you know, toughen up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on. We were just joking. <laughs> and for years, that would be kind of my thing. Like, you know, and be, but because we have always had a solid marriage. No adultery. We don't really argue that tough. But, but, you know, we have a good marriage. And I started noticing that when my wife would say that, I would turn off and just kind of be like, you know, she, she's tripping. She's tripping because she's not tough enough. And then the Holy Spirit started to deal with me. And I started to realize that, she, I mean, I, you've got to understand, I've been preaching on marriage for years. And I started realizing, in the big moments, I talk about sensitivity to your wife. 
In the big moments, I say my wife is the weaker vessel. In the big moments, and when we're in front of people, I, I, I'm opening up doors. Sometimes I'm opening up doors, but most of the time I'm opening up doors. I'm, I, I look, you know, I'm looking very like a strong husband. But behind the scenes when no one is around, I am discounting the way my wife feels. And you see, this is a small moment where I believe God wants to change me. But I've, I've created a story in my mind that this is kind of the small stuff he doesn't care about. And as I began to see more of what God wanted in my life, I just surrendered. I said, you know, God, take, take the small moments with my wife and I never want her to not feel cherished. And it took me years and years. And honestly, it's because that was a habit. Like just cracking on people, that was just a habit. Help me, Lord. And it, and, it, and, it got, and it came out with my wife. And I was like, I've got to change. I've got to grow. And many of the small moments are when you allow the Holy Spirit to speak, not what other people see, not how you look in public, but allowing the Holy Spirit to see the quieter parts of your life, the smaller windows of your life because we can all compartmentalize how we look in front of people. One of the areas of surrender I think that we have to say is whatever you do, if you are a painter, if you are an actor, if you are a singer, if you work on Wall Street, if you are a thinker, if you are a writer, whatever you do, the Bible talks about doing it to his glory. So much so that as I put my hand on it, I want you to be put on display. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 through 5, Paul says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I love what he says in the beginning there, my speech, my message, but a demonstration of your Spirit. This is my work that I put together but I want the Spirit of God to be put on display when I'm doing what I do. So it is not just in the small moments, but also in the bigger moments, in my vocation, in the way that I do what I do every day. I, I want you to get the glory so that people will see you. My message, my speak, spirit, uh, speech, your spirit. When I first started preaching, um, I was a speech communications major in college. Praise God for all the speech, that one speech communications major <laughs> that's here. Appreciate you supporting me in that. And I was a theater minor, right? So I learned early on in life how to talk in front of people. That wasn't anything. I'm not, I'm not nervous in front of people. I've done, done that before, right? And I started preaching, and then what I would do is 
I would read every commentary possible known to man. And I would, the night before a sermon, I would be shining these like incredible thoughts like, yo, when I say this, it's going to blow their minds. It's going to be amazing. It's gonna, it's, and it was, it was like, it was like I, would, I would just be having my notes there, and I'm like, this is going to be awesome. You know, and, I, and I would, I'd have all this, right? And then what's crazy is that it would, it, like I'd pull it off. Like people would like it, and I'm like, that's right. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm a speech communications major, <laughs> right? I was a theater minor, and I studied really hard because that's what I do, right? So I pulled it off. But I started pastoring, and I don't know if you guys know this. His, pastoring is more than preaching. Praise God. So, like, so, like, like, I had a Sunday where I, I wasn't ready. And I hadn't read eight commentaries. And all that speech communications major wasn't getting me nowhere. And I didn't have any, like, I had, like, three points. And I remember I walked up there. And I was scared to death. Now, I might have said some things that people appreciated, but I remember the whole time walking up there, I was like, how am I going to pull this off? I don't have enough. I don't have enough notes. I don't have enough, I don't have enough things to say. I, my, my mind is getting confused. And I remember feeling so nervous and so overwhelmed. And the reason why is because my confidence was all in me, in my resume, and my background, because it was my speech and my message, and I wanted to put my power on display. And over time, God just... I wouldn't even say through humbling me, but through humiliating me. He taught me that this was his message. And it was his church, his people. And I wonder if whatever God has you doing right now in your life, is it his? Is it his work? Whatever you have been gifted and crafted and skilled and you're talented and you're amazing and you're degreed and you're, you have all these great thoughts, but whatever God has you putting your hand to, is it his or yours? Do you draw upon his power or your intellect? Do you draw upon his strength or your resume? Is it his? And over time, God teaches us. He humbles our hearts so that we would slowly but surely surrender the work to him. And as you surrender, his power gets put on display. The Holy Spirit, the Bible talks about in the beginning of creation, was hovering over the waters. And as we look at what the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is throughout the Bible, we see the Spirit of God in the Old Testament indwelling people. So he would indwell prophets to speak. He even indwelt Samson to have strength. 
He would indwell men and women to have skill. Even Gideon had the skill of leadership because of the Spirit of God. And now in the New Testament, he indwells the believer to live a life they could not live. And he also gives them gifts and skills so that God would be on display. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that when the Holy Spirit would come upon us, what would happen is we would see power, power coming from the life of the believer. And that word power there in Greek, it's dunamis. It means explosive, like dynamite, explosive power coming from our lives. The explosive power of God coming through our lives. But not because we're gifted. Not because we're talented. Not because you grew up a certain way. Not because you've been to a certain school or you know certain people. It's because the Holy Spirit is inside of you and he is controlling your life, guiding you, moving you. And you experience that through surrender. 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 It's through surrender of God. And then you do things you never thought you would do. I told my dad, I said, Dad, he said, how's things going at the church? I said, it's good. It's growing. It's growing. I said, but I really feel like God's calling us to move to Flatbush. My dad was like, Flatbush? I was like, yeah, Flatbush. He said, I thought you were downtown Brooklyn. I said, we are. He said, why would you, why would you want to move to Flatbush? I was like, well, you know, I just really feel like God is moving on us to, to be in a place where our people will be able to put God on display in a way where the entire city would, would celebrate. I, be, I believe people would celebrate us being there, Dad, if, if we moved there. He said, it's going to be hard. I said, well, why would you say that? He said, downtown, they got, don't they got like the frappes and the lattes and the, <laughs> the vegan stuff and... I said, he said, that's kind of hood, isn't it? I said, yes, yeah, Flatbush, Dad. He said, you love the Lord. I said, I do, I do. <laughs> but, but then we got into this conversation, and I said, but Dad, here's what I think you're missing from your generation of mine. See, you guys had civil rights. You had this mission that was forced upon you. And I think some of our generation thinks they're doing civil rights when they tweet. And I think that we get into this belief that we are activists by the things we say or the things we write. And what I'm saying is we're not going to talk about the problems in Brooklyn. We're going to move to where the problems are. And it's only going to be there when we're there on Sundays. And if that is too hard for some people because you need your frappe latte, I am sorry. There is six other frappe latte churches down the block. We are going to move to where the problems are because that's what God does. God, in his power and his strength, decided to come to earth. Then he decided to go to a virgin girl who was 14 years old. But not only that, he didn't go to some princess. He went to a girl that was oppressed. He knew where he was going, but not even worse. He grew up in a town called Nazareth, an oppressed 
a, a place from the Roman authorities. But then he didn't have some grandiose job. He was a blue-collar worker. But then he put people around him that were prostitutes and tax collectors and lepers. And yes, he always had the rich around him, but he always moved towards oppression. He always moved towards marginalization. He always moved towards the destitute, those that are hurting. So I like the Barclay Center. I like Beacon's Closet, but I believe that when the spirit of the living God wants to put power on display, it works well when you're amongst poverty and pain. So I get it. I get it. It's going to be tough. It's going to be rough. But the question is not what is the strategy. The question is not how good it looks. The question is what is the spirit of God saying? What is the spirit of God saying? We just to be real with you, we have too many black and brown people in this room to not put our lives on display around black and brown people. I know it feels good down here, but ain't nobody look like you. Ain't nobody look like you. They moved us all out. It's called gentrification. And no one can afford to live down here. So that's why it's nicer. That's why it's nicer. And yeah, it's going to be tough. And yes, I, I get all that. We are going to be a diverse, spirit-filled church in Flatbush. Period. Because notice that when it says the Spirit of God comes down and put, he says, you will be my witnesses, he doesn't just end there. He talks about a city. He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. He talks about a city. Man, I remember, <laughs> I remember when my wife and I moved here. We didn't know nobody. And when I say nobody, I don't mean like in that theoretical, like we didn't know a soul. And I remember when we got this building, we didn't know we were going to get this building. We didn't know. That wasn't the plan. God just opened up the door. We didn't know we were going to grow in here. God just did it. We couldn't afford. We didn't have no money. We could not afford. And this church, Park Slope Christian Tabernacle, our first year before we started Sundays, they gave us rent free. So when we were doing Bible studies, that was rent free. That's why we were downtown. People are like, well, what was your strategic plan? We broke. That's my plan. We were broke. We were broke. It's just wild when people like analyze what you did four years later, but you don't know what, how broken we were when we got here. We were broke. It is very difficult to raise money for this city. We were broke. But we felt, we were like, God, if you told us to be here, we will be here. And then the Rich Bowman. And then the, the Delvas and, and, and all the, Yvonne and Liz, all those people came. But I didn't know they were going to come. We were surrendered to what God wanted. And we moved because God said so. God said so. God said so. And I believe the more surrendered you are to God, the fire, the more, the deep, the, the, the more deep the fire will be in your trial. 
Oh, it'll be more intense. First time I was in ministry year, about 20 years ago in 1999, my, one of my friends said, come down to Harrisonburg, Virginia, and we're going to start a ministry called Impact. And so I, I moved down to Harrisonburg, and when I moved down there, I remember I wanted to do ministry and I wanted God to do great things, but I didn't have a job. And so I got a job at a turkey plant. I was a security guard at a turkey plant. College educated, I'd already graduated. So I'm degreed at a turkey plant. And my job was to escort people into the turkey plant every day. And so people would walk in and I would write their name down. And that's what I did every day for like $6 an hour with a college degree. And I'll never forget how crazy I felt. Like, what am I doing here working at a turkey plant with this security jacket on? And it's hot. And I saw, and I still remember girls like Phyllis and guys like Jerome, people that got saved. And it was worth it. But if, if you are going to allow the Spirit of God to move in your life, he's going to move you into tough situations to put his power on display. And if you are addicted to comfort, surrender will always be difficult. Lastly, um, this sermon took a right turn, praise God, but we all feeling it. We all feeling it, praise God. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. In a, in a practical sense, in a practical sense, how can we live a life where we are walking in the Spirit in a more prolific way? And in order to understand that, I would ask a, a different question. How do you gain confidence as a person? How do you feel confident? What makes you feel powerful? What makes you feel strong? Think about that just for a second. When do you feel the most confident? When you know you, know you have your stuff together. When do you feel the most confident? The word confidence in Latin, essentially confide, it means with faith, to have faith. When is it you have the most faith? that you can do something, you can pull something off. And if you're like me, my confidence comes when I have more, when I'm more prepared for something. My confidence comes when I have more networks. My confidence comes when I have more money, when you have more people saying yes, Confidence in the world and power generally is drawn from influence, beauty, networks, knowledge. Think just for a second of the people that you think of that are most confident. And it's because of something they have. The way they look, 
the degrees they have, the experiences they have. Think just for a second. When are you the most confident? And yet the Bible in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. And Paul then lists all the incredible accomplishments he's done. And he says those things, those things, I do not draw upon them for confidence. It doesn't make me stronger. That's not where I get my strength and my power. And Paul, as well as us, we gain, we're called to gain our confidence a different way. For the believer is called to gain power through surrender, not acquisition. Not by drawing upon more, but by surrendering more and more and more of your life. Surrendering more of your day. Surrendering more of your finances. Surrendering more of your schedule. Surrendering more of your will. It is through surrender that we gain power. It is through brokenness that it says, the Bible says, he who dwells on a holy hill with God, those with a broken and a contrite spirit. It is through surrender, not power, not our own strength. And it is through these times throughout our day that God calls us, he prods and pulls on us to lay more of our life down, down before him, to lay more of your life down. And that is a life that God will put himself on display through, a life that is being laid down more and more every day. Have you surrendered to God your career? Have you surrendered to God the way you speak? Have you surrendered to God the things that you put before people, either on social media or the things that you just say? Have you surrendered to God the little things? Because as you surrender to him those little things, and as you surrender to him those bigger things like career and vocation, he begins to put himself on display. And, he bear, and you will bear much fruit. And you'll do things, that's the point of power, you'll do things that you don't think you can do. You'll do things that are beyond your strength, that are beyond your power. That's the point. Because you will give him the glory. <laughs> My daughters and I were over the break, we went on a family reunion. We got in the pool, in the hotel. And when we got in the pool, jumped in. My daughter, Leah, she said, Daddy, let me jump on your back. I said, no problem. Then my other daughter was like, I want to jump on your back too. I was like, no problem. And then we had some of our other cousins. They said, we want to jump on too. I was like, no problem. 
And then they were like, daddy, daddy, do that handstand. I was like, no problem. Did a handstand in the water, you know what I mean? One-handed handstand. Then we got out the water. And they were like, hey, we all want to jump on your back. I said, daddy can't do that. They said, daddy, do that one arm handstand. I said, daddy can't do that. They said, daddy, what happened? I said, I was in a different atmosphere. You see, I, I'm, I have capabilities in that atmosphere that I don't have in that atmosphere. You see, girls, when I'm down there, there's things I can do. I could do handstands. You can jump on my back. Oh, I could do all types of things. But when I operate on that atmosphere, baby, I have to do that in my own strength. Daddy can't do a one-arm handstand. They said, well, then let's get back in the water. <laughs> when I was early on in ministry, God told me, James, you'll never be successful in ministry. Never, I'll never forget it. And it hurt me to the core. But you know what I did? I jumped back in that water. I said, God, what do you want me to do? And then I remember, remember that time I was thinking about coming to New York. They said, James, you ain't got enough money for New York, and you're going to raise support? You black, you know that, right? You ain't got no money, and people, black folks don't raise support. But see, I jumped back in the water. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And then they were like, James, you got a five-bedroom house, yo. You're going to get a shoebox up there. But I dove back in that water. And I remember when we were leading this church, and there were like 20 people here, and we had a microphone. And I was like, why do I have a mic right now? And I was like, yo, what am I doing? When I walk off this stage, you don't realize I'm treading water when I preach. I'm in that water. I'm doing something I don't have the power to do. And what I tell you, jump in that water. Every day, moment by moment, jump in that water. And you're going to do things you never dreamed. As God's going to do things through you, you can't possibly imagine. You got a 10-year plan. What happens when you surrender your 10-year plan to Jesus? Dive in that water. God, we love you. We can do nothing without you. Holy Spirit, take more of us. Fill us, God. Control us. Take more of my day. Take more of my will. Take more of my life. Fill us. Control us. Take more. In Jesus' name. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.